What are your ambitions in life? A nicer house? Financial security? Putting your kids through college? A happy life? Well, you know, these things aren't necessarily bad, but today our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, takes us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and shows us the ambitions that God wants us to have. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you aboard the Bible bus for another great adventure in God's Word. So as you find your seat, let's welcome through the Bible's President Greg Harris, who's here to tell us why May is such a special month for us. That is special, Steve, and those who have been on the Bible bus for some time will know that every May and every December we continue a tradition started by our founder, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, of what we call Letter Month. Of course, now there's a million ways to communicate. Right. Yeah, it's more than letters. It's emails. It's voicemails. It's social yeah. media posts. <laughs> right. I mean, you you pick your uh, you pick your poison if you will, and you can get there. <laughs> and and so we want to put a little bit of a an new and a bit of an old spin on on this Letter Month for May, and we're we're calling it "I Love to Tell the Story." That's kind of the theme of what we want to encourage our our listening family really throughout the year, but starting now. We, we, those of you that are older will recognize that's the name of an old hymn. Some mm-hmm. of us that are a bit older, Steve, yes. like I'm a little older I than you. I know that. Yeah. I know that. Okay. Hymn. Even though you're younger than I, me. I, I don't know all the words. Yes. But I'm fuzzy <laughs> on the third stanza. That's right. But we, we really do uh, love it when you tell your story. Yeah. And so what is the story that you have to tell about Jesus? Or maybe there's other true stories of scripture that mean something to you. Or how about the whole story of the Bible and then how you're able to better understand it through our systematic study of teaching God's word? Yeah. And so please do tell us your story. Uh, You can call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. And we now have something exciting. You can choose the option tell your story and leave us a voicemail. We'll get it. And of course, we love to hear your voice. You can also always send us a letter or an email at biblebus at ttb.org. And speaking of letters, Steve, we've got a couple of great ones. We do. This first one's from Olivia. She says, I'm from South Africa. Thank you that I can ride along on the Bible bus. Thanks for the privilege of praying for the unsaved, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and also for your ministry. The first half of this year has been extremely difficult for me as I face much persecution, but I can testify today that I know that my Redeemer lives and I can echo 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The most important outcome to the situation was that I unequivocally believe that God is alive, that his word is true, and that I can put my trust fully in him. That gives me hope and a deep sense of peace. Thank you for faithfully serving us God's word through the teachings of Dr. McGee. May God richly bless your ministry to grow from strength to strength. Wow. And that's why we need to hear your story, because there's so much encouragement in what Olivia just shared. Now, here's another story. This is from Bill. I was raised in an ordinary home with godly principles, but we all rebuffed a relationship with Jesus Christ. I sinned a lot. I was pride-filled, boastful. I was a young man looking out for myself. When my wife took the kids to church, I attended occasionally on Christmas and Easter. But eventually, hearing the good news, I realized that I was and am a miserable sinner who needs a Savior. It took a long time. I've given my life to Jesus Christ, who made and is making me new by his grace. Mm -hmm. Now I'm doing my best to unconditionally surrender and follow him, abiding in Jesus and his commands every day. Because of you, this five-year program has further opened my eyes to see and ears to hear 
and have better understanding of God's goodness and greatness and gifts of mercy, grace, knowledge and wisdom, hope, love, joy and peace to all of us that is found only in Jesus Christ. I'm three years in with my wife and some of my family members hoping and praying to have every one of my family, relatives, friends, and enemies eventually (laughs) on the Bible bus. May God richly bless you. Wow. Such an encouragement. Thanks for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the way your word is impacting people's lives as we've heard in these two testimonies today. May it continue to do so as it goes out, not only in the U.S. and Canada, in English, but all around the world. And may it be all to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study in 2 Corinthians 5 on Through the Bible. Now we're in the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians, and we mentioned last time that there are actually three motivations that God gives to believers for serving him down here, for witnessing for him, for getting his word out to others. And the first one we mentioned, talked about last time, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. That is, while we're down here, according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, you'll be rewarded according to the way you serve him down here. And the very wonderful thing is that this is a motive for serving Christ, because this is a report that we're going to have to give to him someday. And he says in Revelation twenty-two twelve, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. Now, he's talking here to those that are his, believers. And they're going to be brought, as he says here, before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that's the bema. That's not that thronus, the throne of God, the great white throne. And he says here that we labor down here, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. And the word here is ambitious. We should be ambitious. Wherefore we ambitious that whether present or absent, we might be accepted of him. And that's an interesting word, by the way. You find it over in the Thessalonian epistle where he says over there in the first epistle, actually, it's be ambitious to mind your own business. (laughs) And that's pretty good, is it not? And here it's we're ambitious, whether present or absent. Now, that is the thing that we should have in mind, that we should be ambitious, that we should labor in a way that we're going to be accepted of him. Now, this is not ambition to become some great somebody. You see, we're accepted here, and I think I ought to call attention to this. We're accepted in the beloved, Paul said to the Ephesians. And all of us are accepted in Christ, accepted in the beloved. But this is something else. This is to be accepted of the Lord. Will you notice that? Of him, be accepted of it. Now, there's a difference of being accepted in Christ and being accepted of Christ. There's quite a difference. Now, accepting in Christ, that's my standing before God. God sees me in him, and he's made unto me all that I need, wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, he's my perfection. 
God sees me in Christ, and I'm complete in him. And you can't add to completeness. When you got a got 100%, you've got it. And we have Christ, accepted in the Beloved. But how about being accepted of him? Now, that's my standing, you see, accepted in him. That is my standing, accepted of him. That has to do with my state. Now, what is your ambition today, by the way? Is your ambition to be accepted of Christ? Now, this kind of ambition doesn't mean that you're going to crawl over everybody and step on them in order to get to the top. I'm afraid we have in Christian work some folk like that today. Want to make a name for themselves. Dr. G. Camel Morgan tells about how he wrestled with this problem. He was a school teacher when he was called as a minister. And it was for him a very solemn moment. Now, he was told then, in fact, he felt the Lord was saying to him, you have been set apart definitely for the ministry of the word. Now, do you want to be a great preacher or do you want to be my servant? And the first thing that Dr. Morgan said, he said, I want to be a great preacher. And that ought to be a wonderful ambition. But after a while, the Lord began to press it in upon him. Do you want to be a great preacher? Do you want to be my servant? And then he finally came to it. He says, well, I can't be a servant and a great preacher both, I guess, but I've got to make a choice. And finally, he said, oh, blessed Lord, I'd rather be your servant than anything else, and I'm willing to be an obscure preacher. Well, in my book, God made of Dr. G. Camel Morgan not only his servant, but he made him a great preacher. My friends, we sometimes think that our ambition ought to be to do something great for God. God says, I just want you to be my servant. That's all. I want you to be that. And when you and I can say, Lord, just take men, make men, break men, do what you will with me. Remember Jeremiah put it like this in Jeremiah, the 45th chapter, verse 5. He says, seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. That's putting it plain enough, isn't it? My friend, are you trying to get great things for yourself? Oh, there are a lot of ambitious preachers. There are a lot of ambitious laymen. There are a lot of ambitious Christian workers today. There are a lot of ambitious Christians, but it's a selfish ambition. You want to be God's servant? Well, my friend, if you do, then you may be able to do something that he's going to be able to reward us for. And I'll be honest with you. I'm beginning to become just a little worried about this. I want to make sure that I'm his servant. I'd like to be his servant now. Well, may I say to you that I'm going to have to stand before him, and you are. Now, that ought to be motivation for you to serve him today. Are you doing something today? And when I say today, I use that as a relative term. In this day in which we're living, are you doing something that he can accept? When you come in his presence, he'd be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, that's the first one. Now, let me move on because he gives us a second one here. And let me read that for you. He says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we're made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciousness. Now, will you notice that? He says, knowing the terror 
or the Lord we persuade man. Now, that word terror, I think, could better be translated fear. And there's a great deal said in the Bible about the fear of the Lord. Fact of the matter is, we're told the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In fact, liberalism today, its one tenet is, well, you don't need to be afraid of God. God is just a nice, sweet, kind old man, and you need to remember that, and you can just treat him most anyway. He's very indulgent, you know. And liberalism teaches the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. And in my book, that's the most damnable doctrine that there is today. But you know what the Word of God says in Hebrews 10:31? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And today we have given ersatz bread to people, and it's a nice, sunshiny gospel that's being preached. But I want to tell you, my friend, Our God is a holy God, a righteous God, and he loves you. He wants to save you. But I want to tell you, if you don't come his way, you're going to come before him in judgment. And therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade man. And today, there's many a pulpit that doesn't have a sermon on hell has no sermon on punishment, has no sermon on judgment. And as a result, that is probably a lost note in Protestantism today. And the Lord Jesus said that he'd come to seek and to save that which was lost. And my friend, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Oh, we need to recognize that This is something that we're going to be held accountable for. For we command not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. Now, that is verse 12 that I've just read. In other words, my friend, if you are declaring the full counsel of God, you can do it in a loving manner. You don't have to you know, bring down thunder and lightning. But we need to recognize today and to state it very clearly that men are lost. And if we do say that, well, we're not commending ourselves. We're not trying to become popular, by the way. I'm always afraid of this soft, soapy type of thing that we're hearing today. There's so much of that today that goes the way of psychology how you can become a well-adjusted human being. Oh, we hear so much about that. You mustn't have bad vibrations. You must have good vibrations. Oh, may I say to you, friend, and I say this very kindly to you, but if you are without Christ today, my friend, it's not vibrations that you need. And it's not just a lot of psychological haircutting that you need in your life. You're a hell-doomed sinner, and you're on the way to hell. You need Christ. Now, that may not be popular, but that's what my Bible says, and that's what I'm teaching is the Word of God. We commend not ourselves again unto you. We don't want you to just glory in us. The important thing is, is to declare the whole counsel of God, and that is motivation enough to get the Word of God out. 
That's the thing that would arouse many a sleepy church. I think that we've told people about the need. There are books written on that, and missionaries come and plead and tell about the need out yonder. And today I say it on the radio, my, the need in this land of ours. The United States is one of the greatest mission fields today. But I have trouble convincing people of that. People are on the way to hell. You're rubbing shoulders with them every day. Now, will you notice we move on down here. He says, whether we be beside ourselves, it's to God. You may think I'm crazy. Paul said, you may think I'm crazy, but I'm doing this for God. And you may think I'm being sober. Well, it's for your sake. That's what Paul says. Now he gives us his third motive. And this is also motivation. The love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Now, the love of Christ constrains us. This is a word that has been misunderstood. The thought that has been suggested is that the love of Christ sort of restricts us. It straps us down. That's not the word Paul is using here. What he's saying here, it's the love of Christ that's pushing us out. It's the love of Christ that's motivating us. It's the love of Christ that causes us to give the Word of God out. That is motivation, you see. The love of Christ constraineth us. Because we judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. This is the thing that sent that man, Paul the Apostle, out to the ends of the earth. Now, will you notice, as we move on here, the gospel, though, has to be given out, friends, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now, this is the gospel. The love of Christ constrains us. And the gospel is to set forth the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it is the facts of the gospel, and that when we preach this to man, we call upon man to be reconciled to God now. And this is what the gospel is, that God now says to you to be reconciled. Now, I want you to notice something that he says here, we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That actually means mankind is under the sentence of death. When Adam was yonder in the Garden of Eden, he was our federal head. He's the head of that old creation. And that old creation was on trial in Adam. And God said to him, Thou shalt not eat of it. In the day that you eatest of it, dying you're going to die. And Adam just deliberately disobeyed God He came under the sentence of death, and when he did, he took the entire human race down with him, for all were represented in him. And you and I have been born into a family of death. All mankind now is under the sentence of death. Someone has said the very moment that gives you life begins to take it away from you. David says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and he meant not the end of life, But he said that all of his life, he'd been walking down through this great canyon of death. And it got darker and narrower until finally he'd have to go through that doorway of death. Now, how do you illustrate this? There have been many ways of illustrating this. 
Dr. Ironside used to have a wonderful illustration. I know Dr. Schaefer did. Let me give you an illustration, and I'll give it in my own words here, my own way. Back of where I live and where we have our radio headquarters is a lovely range of mountains called the Sierra Madre Mountains. And up here on the top of Mount Wilson, there is an observatory, one of the famous observatories, the Hale Observatory. However, I think they call the one now down the coast near San Diego that also. But here is Mount Wilson. Now, God created man. He put him up on a high mountain like that. And suppose we're thinking in terms of that. Up yonder on top of Mount Wilson, in a paradise, God placed man and placed Adam. And Adam was up there. Now, he had everything that was good for him, but he had one thing that he was not to do. He was a sinless man. But he was told there was something he was not to do. He did that. He fell. We speak of the fall of Adam. Well, he came tumbling down off of that mountain, down where we are down here. We live down here where it's around 700 feet. It's about, oh, I think 6,000 feet up there. He took quite a tumble, you can see. Now, down here, he began to bring into the world a race of people. Now, they don't come into the world way up yonder where Adam was, on the plane where he was, where he was innocent. But we come on the plane down here. And when the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, he came into a world where he found us dead in trespasses and sins. He comes into the world, but not way up yonder on that high plane on top of Mount Wilson. You see, he's the sinless one. But he didn't come into a sinless place. He came down here where we are. And he was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. But he came down here to save sinners. Now, he can't find any man on that plane of holiness way up there because we've all fallen down to this low plane. Now, what's he going to do? Well, he goes down into the place of death where man is. And he died for all. Why? Because men were dead. And he came down here into this place of death. And he takes believers up with him in resurrection life. And somebody says, well, he's going to take us back up under the top of Mount Wilson. Oh, no, he's not. He's now taking us to the heavenlies. We are now seated in the heavenlies. And he's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, if Christ died for all, then we're all dead. He now took our place. And if we're going to live, it's going to be by faith in him that those through faith should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them, and he rose again. Now, my friend, we know no man now after the flesh. Therefore, out yonder in the world, they'll just lost man. Oh, this man's a Ph.D., teaches over here at Caltech. Brilliant fellow. Well, he's a lost man if he's not in Christ. And here's a man down here on the gutter. We know no man after the flesh. That's what he says here. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. That is, according to this old nature, they're all lost. And they are today, as he said, he died for all of them. Christ died for the man. That's the Ph.D. Died for the man down yonder in the gutter. He died for all of them. 
Therefore, we know no man after the flesh. Now he says, though we've known Christ after the flesh. I believe that Paul did know Christ after the flesh. I think that he was present at the crucifixion of Christ. I can't imagine that brilliant young Pharisee, you know, not being yonder in Jerusalem at that particular time. He was present then. Now I see, friends, we're going to have to stop right there today. But this is a rich section. We'll finish this section next time, and then we're going to move a little faster from now on. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. You can learn more about what it means to live in faith at ttb.org when you click on the banner, How Can I Know God? There you're going to find a few free audio messages and digital booklets for download, or you can always call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Now, as we go, I want to remind you of what that brilliant young Pharisee wrote later in his life. It applies to us. Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let that good word feed you all day. Jesus grateful for the faithful and generous support of Through the Bible's partners, whom God uses to take the whole word to the whole world.